Grab your Bibles this morning, Matthew chapter 6. We, uh, whenever I say my message is going to be long, it never is. And so I'm not going to say that it's going to be long. Um, but I feel like we're spending a little bit more time in the text today. Uh, I don't, I just, these six verses or whatever we're going to go through, uh, or, I feel like it's just a pretty vital piece of what's going on. So all that to say, we're not going to do a lot of review, but I'm going to do a little bit of review. Okay, so review that I want us to grasp is that the Sermon on the Mount is one message, right? It's not a bunch of sermons that were compiled together and we call this like one message at one time that Jesus spoke. So we're still Matthew 6, right? So, so at some level, Matthew 6, 1 is, is kind of going to cover the context that we're in, right? Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Okay, so, so that's kind of the, the new chapter. Like, we put a chapter division there. Obviously, Jesus didn't, but we put the chapter division there on purpose. This seems to be a, like a second point in his message. Okay, we're, I feel like we're still underneath that point. Okay, why am I making that? I'm, I'm saying that because what we're about to go to, I feel like it's so easy to, to kind of divorce this from, from the context. Like, like, we don't hear, we hear this passage often, what we're about to read, you're going to know it. Um, and yet, I feel like we hear it, like, separated from the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so this morning when we look at the text, we want to think, how does this fit into the whole context of the Sermon on the Mount? Let's not just make it fit with what we want it to fit in. Okay, uh, now the last couple weeks, we were in this Matthew 6, right? 6-1, we're practicing righteousness before men. And so how do, how do we do that? How do we, how do, we do this wrong? And, and Jesus gave us three examples. And he said how you give, how you pray, and how you fast. We can do it in such a way that we get a reward from the Father who's in heaven, or we can do it in such a way that we get a reward uh, from, from the applause of men. Okay, so all that to say, uh, I, I feel like the best way to, to sum up the last three weeks is Joel and discussion group. I was going to put them on the screen and like Joel Porch at the bottom, but I didn't. Um, anyway, Joel last week in discussion group said this. He said, just keep the thing, let the thing be the thing. And I was like, that is so simple and yet so the point. Like, don't let your fasting be something it's not meant to be. It's supposed to be a greater love and desire for God. Uh, it's supposed to be a time of in the word and prayer. So let your fasting be a time where you pursue God. Don't let your fasting be a time where you get the praise of men. Like, let prayer be prayer and the purpose of prayer. Let giving be the purpose of giving. And let's not confuse giving with something else. It's not a marketing scheme. It's not some way to feel good or get the a praise of men. Like, let the thing be the thing. And, and so we're going to make t-shirts. No, just kidding. Um, but anyway, uh, so that's kind of summing up what we did, right? So let's dive into our text. We'll read it, and then uh, we'll, we'll go through it. So verse 19 of Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eyes are the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. All right, so review, right? One message. What did we just leave? Verse, 19, verse 18, the one right before verse 19. What does he say? He says, uh, you're going to do your fasting so you're not noticed by men, but your father who is in secret will see what you do, and he who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay, so, so we just got done talking about heavenly rewards versus earthly rewards. And now we get to verse 19, and he says what? He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Okay, so, so I feel like every time I've ever heard this message, uh, it, was, it was by itself, not you know, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, and I feel like the word treasure always equaled money. 
every single time, right? Like don't sort. So, so if you're here this morning and you're like, you know what, money and I, like, I, it's not that big a deal. Like a lot of money, a little bit of money, like I can get by, you know, all you need is love, right? Like we can, we can survive. And so for some of us, it's like, you know what, this message isn't that big of a deal to me. Why? Because, because I don't treasure money, if you will. Wealth isn't that big a deal. Nice clothes, nice cars. Like I can get by with whatever. I'm not super worried about money. And yet looking at the broader context, Jesus has been talking about what? He's talking about man's approval. Like we would treasure more than just money. We would put our sights and our focus on things far more than just money. So, so as we look at verse 19, I don't think we can just say here that this is solely money or solely wealth or solely some sort of stock portfolio. Like, like this is more than that. Okay, so what is he saying though? He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Okay, don't focus on, don't put all your time and energy into what? Into earthly treasures. And to the applause of men is the previous context. Like, we're not living for that. Why are we not living for that? Because if you live for the world, then you're going to find out it's really good and you really love it and you won't want Jesus anymore, right? No, that's not the reason he gives. Why don't we live for earthly treasure? He tells us in the text. Because moth will, will destroy, moths will eat, rust will destroy, and thieves will break in and steal. So what he's saying is you don't commit your life to something that will ultimately be eaten by bugs. Right, like don't commit your life to something that is ultimately going to get rusty and fall apart and, and go to decay. Like we can live for man's approval. Like we saw that last three weeks. We can do that, but we talked about how temporary that is. Like that does not last. And so what is he saying? Jesus is saying, stop giving your life. Like you as a kingdom citizen have something far greater to live for than something that's going to fall apart someday. Like you got a treasure, we'll see in just a second, that's far greater that you can put your, your time, energy, and effort into and yet so often we're going to put our time, energy, and effort at things that are so meaningless in light of eternity. Okay, so let's just, let's just talk about some of these things. Okay, so, so the one that we, I just said we're not going to talk about this, but now we're going to talk about it. Okay, let's just take treasure to mean money in this context. Right, so, so we treasure money. Like, like, not to make things political, but the word inflation is really going around right now. Like, all of a sudden our money doesn't go quite as far as it used to. Man, I really love money, but now inflation is making it worthless. Not trying to be funny in any way, like serious thing. There are people right now because of a hurricane hit and their insurance isn't going to cover the flooding that they just went through. And so all of their money's wiped out in pretty much one day. A couple days maybe of all the rain and all the water. Like all this money that you stored up is gone in a moment to fix up a house. Like, like there are, they talk about generational wealth. Like that's not really too much of a thing. Why? Because by the time the grandkids get around the third generation, there's none left. So even if you get to your grave and you have all this money in your bank account, like, good for you, whatever, like, maybe your son enjoys it, but your son's son won't. It'll be gone by his, his lifetime. And so here's money, and we, we really gave our lives to it. And I'm not saying be a bad steward. I'm not saying just waste it. But, like, it's not worth giving our lives to. Think about fame or popularity. Uh, this is, I'm not, I'm not saddened by this. I'm not disturbed. Um, it just shocks me a little bit. I said the name Michael Jordan the other day to people my kid's age. No idea. No idea who Michael Jordan is. I'm like, you know, I think somebody said he makes shoes. And I was like, really? I mean, I know he does. I mean, he doesn't. Um, but, you know, like, that's, that's how we, right? Here's arguably the best person to ever step on a basketball court. In the 90s. I mean, I know that's a long time ago now, but it's not forever ago. And we don't know him. And it's like, here's fame, and we're going to give our life to fame and to popularity, and people would know us, and yet here's one of the greatest sports players, most influential people in our generation, and the next generation doesn't know him. 
Like, like even fame and popularity is so quickly gone. What have you done for me now? Nothing? All right, then I'm, we're going to not remember you. We're not going to treasure you. So, so what is Jesus saying? He's saying don't treasure the car. Like, like your dream car isn't worth dreaming about because it's going to rust and it's going to fall apart and the starter's going to break and this is going to go bad and, and it's all horrible. And you're like, well, I drive a Toyota. It's going to last a real long time. You're like, great, it's still going to fall apart. Right? Your, your clothes, guess where they're going to end up? They're going to end up in Goodwill. They're going to be in a dumpster where bugs are going to eat them. And we, we want to treasure that? Probably not. We want to treasure your house? Guess what? A hurricane comes by, here it's gone. Like, like over and over again, we can walk through everything in our life that we're so tempted to treasure. And what does Jesus say about it? He says it's not going to last. Like rust, bugs, or stolen. So what is he saying? He's saying live for something greater than these things. All right, so the next verse, verse 20. But store up, like, like you're going to, that store up is a treasure. Like treasure Heavenly treasure is what he's saying. Like, like we're going to pursue, we're going to focus, we're going to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Because that's uh, a place where moth and rust uh, doesn't destroy and where thieves do not break in or steal. So like just on the face value, there's one that's temporary and there's one that is eternal. So one of these is infinitely better than the other. Like one of these is, is so much greater than the other. And we're going to talk more about this in just a second. But when we think about how much of our lives is consumed with a thing that's temporary that will ultimately be eaten by bugs and destroyed by rust versus how much of our time is committed to things that last for eternity, like it's probably a bad imbalance. Like Jesus is saying, live for something so much greater. The question, though, would be in verse 20. How do we do this? Like, okay, I don't want, I don't want to live for the things of this world. How do I live for, for heavenly things? Okay, just from the context. Right? We, could, we could spend a lot of time talking about this. We're not going to. Just from the context of where we're at in Matthew 6, what do we just walk through? Giving, praying, and fasting. You want to be kingdom-focused? You want to be focused on, on God's kingdom? You want to be focused on what's going on in, in the world? You want to focus on heavenly, eternal things? What do we do? I think you give to those ways. You give to the church. Give to things that would do that. Be generous with your money. I think you pray, and you pray in such a way that God would build his kingdom like he gives in the, that model prayer. I think we fast for the purpose of pursuing God's kingdom. God, I want more of your kingdom and less of this earthly kingdom. Right? We do so. We, we can't do it in such a way that we get the applause of men. We covered all that last three weeks. Uh, but we're going to pray, we're going to give, and we're going to fast in such a way that would bring glory to God. And what does that say? Each one of those says that, that your Father who is in heaven will reward you. And I feel like there's got to be a here and now reward, but there's also probably a future one. And so we want to pursue these heavenly things. Okay, so then we get to verse 21. Verse 21, this is one I feel like we all know. Uh, we, we can quote probably from memory. But verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there, uh, there your heart will be also. Okay, the kingdom citizens treasure kingdom things. That's, that's what I think Jesus is trying to get at. Earthly citizens treasure earthly things. So what does that mean? It means like, like do we still fail? Yeah, sure. Duly noted, we still fall short. But if your life over the last however many years is characterized by pursuing and treasuring and focusing on earthly things, then, then I think what Jesus is saying is maybe you're not truly a kingdom citizen. Why? Because kingdom citizens are going to pursue kingdom things. Like, where's your heart? Where's your focus? Where's your inner being? Like, where are you at in all this? Well, it's defined by, by what you would treasure. And so if you are constantly chasing and treasuring the earthly thing, and I think what Jesus is saying, then you need to check your heart because maybe you're not even a kingdom citizen. And, and how do we know what we treasure? Like, how do we know what we focus on? Okay, just, again, we, we spent a lot of time on this. We're just going to spend one silly illustration. If you have a really rough day, I don't know what your rough day looks like, uh, but you have a really rough day, uh, the boss 
fires you, that'd probably be a rough day. Uh, you had to go to the dentist, that's a rough day. Um, your dog disobeys, like whatever rough day is to you, right? The kids don't listen, um, you didn't get the promotion, whatever rough day is. On your way home in the car or whenever you get a quiet moment by yourself, where does your mind go? Right, does, does your mind say, hey, rough day at work, if only I got promoted, if only I got a raise, if only I had more money, if only I had a different spouse, if only I had, what, fill in the blank. My if only often turns into land far away from people. For a while, it was West Virginia. Uh, that's the farthest away I could get from people. Right? Like, that's an if only. So, so in those moments, like, what am I looking for to, to satisfy this longing of my soul of a rough day? It's if only we had ice cream in the house. Right? If only whatever, fill in the blank. And so often, those if onlys are what we really think is going to satisfy Right? So often that if only is what we treasure. And what we're believing is, is that if we got that if only, then, then, then I would be happy, then I'd be satisfied, then I'd be, everything would be fine. So what is our heart treasuring so often is the if only? So what does that mean? It means on a rough day, a kingdom citizen, and this is hard, like this is not my go-to, this is not how I act, so this is not follow my example by any means. But on a rough day, you sit down on the couch and, and you don't turn the TV on and you don't eat the ice cream and you don't complain, but you go to the Lord in prayer. It's God, I'm going to spend a little bit more time with you today because of this rough day. God, I want, to, I want to remind myself of you and your goodness to me even in the midst of this rough day. Like, I'm going to drive home and I'm going to pray, God, help me to be a good dad to my kids and not take the rough day, rough day out on them. Help me to be a father like you are a father to me. Like, that's a kingdom citizen. That's somebody who says, hey, even on my worst day, I'm going to trust God. Even on my worst day, I'm going to run to him and find help and find encouragement and, and find what we need. Right? So what is he saying? He's saying you, as a kingdom citizen, you have something far greater to live for than the things of this earth. And again, so often we put the things of the earth as the most valuable. Okay, now we get to verse 22. Okay, uh, just a little preface before we get to verse 22. This doesn't seem like it's going to make much sense, nor does it seem like it fits the context. Because verse, verse 19 through 21 is what do you treasure? Verse 24 says you can't serve two masters, and the two masters are God and wealth, and we'll talk about that more in just a second. And, and so those 19 through 21, 24, they seem to fit. Like that seems like a real nice treasure. What are you treasuring passage? And then you get to verse 22. And the first phrase of verse 22 is the eyes, the lamp of the body. And already we're like, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Like, like sometimes we think like, oh, there's some Bible thing. And I, okay, don't tune this out is what I'm trying to say. Like this, this fits the text. Um, I actually think this is, I don't know a better word than scary, so I'm going to say scary. I think this is a scary part of the text. Like this is, I, I, anyway. So what does this mean? Let's read it. Uh, and then we got some Old Testament passages we're going to look at to help us out. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. Okay, just side note before we dive into all this, that's a good thing, right? Verse 22, thumbs up, that's what we want. Verse 23, but if your eye is bad, or the Greek word can also mean evil, your whole body will be full of darkness, not what we want. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Okay, so, so we got to understand what does it mean by the eye being clear, or some translations would say the eye is good, and what do we mean by the eye is evil or the eye is bad? Okay, so to help us understand that, we're going to focus in on the eye being evil. And so we got a couple different texts uh, to go to to talk about this. Okay, the first one is Deuteronomy 15, verses 9 through 11. Beware that there is no base thought in your heart, saying the seventh year, the year of remission, is near, and your eye is hostile, or evil, bad, is the Greek word, 
uh, ra, can mean evil or bad. Uh, your eye is evil toward your poor brother and you give him nothing. Okay, we're going to keep reading, but just stop there. Okay, this, this year of remission, the seventh year, you would, you would take care of people. It's a Sabbath year type thing. Like, like there's all these things that Israel would be commanded to do and one of them is helping out the poor. Okay, so in that, you know, he says what? The seventh year is coming. I'm commanded to help who? My poor brother. And yet he says, your eye is evil. And what are you planning to do with your evil eye? You're planning to give him nothing. Okay, let's keep reading. Then he may cry to the Lord against you and it will be a sin in you. You shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because, uh, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. Okay, so, so just from Deuteronomy 15, 9 through 11. This evil eye, uh, Nazbi translates evil here as hostile, but this evil eye, this bad eye, is what? It's somebody who would not give to somebody in need. Right? They're going to hoard their wealth. They're going to cling to their wealth. Even though God would command them to give up their wealth, uh, they're, gonna, they're just going to hang on to it. Okay? So, so the opposite of, of this evil eye, I think, is here in this last verse. You would freely open your hand to your brother. Like the, the idea of generosity. Okay, so, so just from Deuteronomy 15, like, okay, hopefully we're getting a picture of what it is to have an evil eye. Proverbs 28. A man with an evil eye hastens after wealth and does not know that want or poverty will come upon him. Okay, so, so again, this, this idea of hasten is, is kind of the same idea in the New Testament of treasuring treasure. Like, like he's, he's pursuing this. He's, this is his focus. This is his goal. It's all about wealth. And, and what, what is... Uh, Solomon, most likely, what is he saying about this person who hastens after wealth? He, he calls them or qualifies them as having an evil eye. Okay, so, so again, we putting this together, what does it look like? It looks like somebody who would focus in on wealth, who would focus in, uh, in our context in Matthew 6, probably focus in on earthly treasures, would be somebody that we would say has an evil eye. One more, and then uh, we'll get back to our text. Matthew 20, let me read it. It's a parable of Jesus. We're not going to read the whole parable. Let me read it, and then I'll explain the context to you. So Matthew 20, verse 15, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious, same Greek word we're using in Matthew 6 for evil or bad, is your eye evil because I am generous? Okay, here's the context. In the parable, uh, a landowner asks some guys to come work for him and he says, hey, if you work for me for this day, I'll give you a, a day's wage. And they say, yes, we'll work for you. And so let's say that's 8 o'clock in the morning. They show up. They start working. Well, at noon, the landowner decides he needs to hire more people to get the job done. So he hires people at noon. And he hires people all the way up to 4. Like, they're just working until 5 today. He hires people in the last hour at 4 o'clock. Hey, will you work for me? At 5 o'clock, he pays everybody the same amount. So the guy that agreed at 8 o'clock to work for a day's wage and the guy that shows up at 4 and only worked an hour, they all got paid the same amount. And so what is this context? This context is somebody coming up to the landowner and he's, he's mad and angry that he got paid the same amount as a guy who didn't do much work at all. Anyway, we're not going to go down what that whole parable means and how to, but what is the response of the landowner? He says, is your eye envious or is your eye evil? Because I am generous. And so once again, what do we see? We see that evil eye seems to be compared against uh, the difference between, or the opposite of an evil eye would be what? It would be someone who's generous. Okay, so, so now that we, hopefully we got some sort of idea, here's an evil eye who would be focused in on earthly treasure in our context of Matthew 6. 
focused in on wealth, money, whatever you want to say, uh, but they're focused on some sort of earthly treasure. And so what does Jesus say about that? Well, let's go back to the, to the good eye, verse 22. The eyes lamp the body. So then if your eye is clear, or some translation will say good, your whole body will be full of light. Okay? Some people will say Matthew 5. Uh, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. They think that this is part of that light. Like your generosity and in your freely giving of your earthly treasure, like you're going to treasure something greater than earthly treasure so we can give away our earthly treasure. Like that's going to be what? Light that would shine forth from you. And I'm not disagreeing with that statement. Like I think this is a great way for your light to shine. It's to not treasure earthly treasures. But I think in the, in the context and what other commentators have said, this seems more to be this, this idea of filling of light, seems more to be a wise, uh, a wise life, like a, a, someone that would look at eternity and live with an eternity in mind. Like, I'm not living for the here and now. I'm not wasting my life. I'm not giving my life to something that's not worth it. I'm giving my life to the only thing that's worth something. And so some sort of wise living, some sort of, of seeing the future, living for the kingdom, all those things. Right? So, so, so how, what is the best way to use your life? The best way to use your life is to, to use it for something that will last for eternity, not something that will last for here and now. And someone who has a clear eye uh, would, would understand that. Like, their focus is on the right place. Therefore, they get the right result. Okay, so then we get to verse 23. And this is the part that, that I feel like, man, it kind of wrecked me this week. But if your eye is bad or evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. Like, okay, like you're focusing on the, on the wrong thing. You're focusing on wealth. You're focusing on earthly treasure, whatever it is. It does not say that you are partially filled with darkness. Right? Like, if we think about it, like, like so often, especially in my teenage years or whatever, it was like, God can have these things in my life, and I'm going to hang on to these things in my life. And so in my brain, maybe I could admit, okay, 80% in my pride, 80% I give to God, 20% I hang on to, so maybe I'm 20% darkness. It's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, like, like you're pursuing, what? I'm assuming, you're pursuing one earthly treasure. Right? Like, like, People are followers of God at some level that he's talking to. Most of them Jews. Most of them have heard the scriptures. Like, at some level, they're probably thinking about God and pursuing him. Like, like they probably, one or two areas in their life that they haven't given over to God. And what does he say? He doesn't say, hey, you need to get one of these one or two areas. Like, he does say that. But he says, your whole, your whole body is full of darkness. Okay? So, so what does that look like? Just from the text, Right? Jesus talking through, through the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what it looks like to be a kingdom citizen. Here's what it looks like to live for the glory of God. Here's what it looks like to have eternal rewards and not earthly rewards. And yet, what we're going to see is we're going to see people walk away from the Sermon on the Mount and continue to pursue earthly treasures. And so what does Jesus say in response to all that? He says there at the end of verse 23, how great is the darkness. Like how great is the darkness that somebody would sit on the sermon or sit on the mount that Jesus is preaching the sermon and he would be looking at the face of the creator and, and he would look at him and he'd hear what he say and he would turn around and pursue earthly treasure. Like how great is the darkness? Okay, let's, let's go a little bit further. Okay, um, this pursuing is going to affect every area of your life. Like I talked about, we want to compartmentalize our Christian life, and we want, you know, like, okay, it's going, to, it's going to ruin every area of your life. That's what he's saying. Okay, so let's just, let's just walk through a couple examples. If your earthly treasure in this context, like your eye is bad, and we're going to just go with the wealth idea, and you're pursuing wealth, and that's your goal, and that's what's bringing happiness, and, and all of these things, okay? We probably don't have to think very hard. Of, of, a, of a man or a woman, a mom or dad, husband, wife, that pursued wealth 
And as a 20-year-old, man, he wants to get married. He wants to have kids. He wants this beautiful American dream life. And into his 30s, 40s, or 50s, he starts to pursue wealth. And he's not with his wife much longer. Uh, he doesn't see his kids. He's missing them grow up. He's not investing in them. And, and his whole life, he wouldn't say in his 20s, like, I want to get married so I can get divorced. I want to get married so that I can just leave my wife. I want to get married so I can spend all my time in the office. Like, he wouldn't say that. And yet the pursuit of wealth would cause him to not be an Ephesians 5 husband and not be an Ephesians 6 father. Like here's someone who's a believer, right? Someone that would, that would grow up in church and, and know the scriptures and yet their pursuit of one area of wealth and it's like we can't go on date night because, because date night actually would make us lose money because I could make more money if I stayed in the office. And it's like you're, you're literally ruining your life in this pursuit of wealth. It's not just one area, it's every area. Right? We, can, we can pursue acceptance. Like, that doesn't seem like some necessary treasure or reward. But, but like for some of us, like, man, if we could just have friends, if we could just be accepted, like, if we could just be part of that group. And so here's someone who says, hey, I know their Bible. I know some of the scriptures. I know what's right and wrong. But you put me with the wrong group of people. Man, I'm in. Like, like I, I need to watch the trash on TV in order to fit in with this, this group. Sweet, I'm in. Like, like, I would never say that I would watch these things on, on television. I never say I would participate in these activities. But man, to be accepted, to be part of these things, like, I'm all in. And this, this treasuring of being accepted, like, how great is the darkness that somebody who said I would never do those things, all of a sudden does these things to be, to be accepted. We've talked about this one already in the series. This idea of even pursuing pleasure. Like, God, you can have everything in my life, but there's some sort of pleasure that I want to hang on to. And, and we talked about the stats on pornography weeks ago now. But like, like 50% of the church or more is, is, is struggling with this. And what happens is like, I just, I just want some sort of pleasure. I just want to feel good. I just want a momentary break from the stress of my life that I'm going through or whatever it is. And you're looking for pleasure. And, and what turns into uh, what you thought was just going to be pleasure turns into an addiction. And now marriages are being torn apart and families are being torn apart all because you were seeking one thing other than God. And so when, so when, he, when Jesus says, like, like if your eye is evil and you're pursuing something that is earthly, like your whole bar, body is darkness, like it's going to ruin your whole life. So again, how great is that darkness? Like, like, don't overlook this. Don't think, ah, it's not that big a deal. Like Jesus is saying, no, this is a huge deal. I'm reading a book right now. Uh, it's on a specific sin, which you'll easily identify uh, but it gives, it's a longer quote, but he, in this quote, I feel like you can just replace the sin that they're talking about and you can just replace it with any sin you want. And, and to me, it, man, it, again, just, I felt like a fit. It's not even on the Sermon on the Mount. The book has nothing to do with the Sermon on the Mount. It's helping people, um, that are addicted pretty much. Okay. So here we go. Uh, every believer, right? Every believer, let's, let's just recognize that. No, everyone in this room wrestles with momentary atheism. She has occasions when she gives herself over to unbelief. Okay, let's just, I want to make this connection. I think what Jesus is saying here, when, when we have an evil eye, when we focus on earthly treasures, what are we saying? We, at some moment, are becoming, or, or at least acting, like an atheist. Like, we're saying God says this, and my world around me says this, and I'm choosing this, the thing that's not God, the thing that has nothing to do with God, and, and in that moment, we're acting like we don't even believe in it. Right? So, so, that's the context. Like, that's where I think Jesus is at. Okay? In that moment. Oh. Did I? Oh, I skipped it. I'm going to read, and then we'll catch up to this. In that moment, she was embracing sin's lies, rebelling against God, and disbelieving the promises of the gospel. 
Like in that moment that I would pursue something other than God, other than his kingdom, something on this earth, what am I saying? I'm saying I, I, I'm rebelling against God. I don't believe his promises. Like there's something in this world that's really going to satisfy other than God. So, so here obviously is the sin, right? Viewing pornography, but we could say anything, pursuing wealth. We could say uh, drugs and other addictions. Like whatever you want to be accepted, fill in the blank, right? In this book, viewing pornography is her functional way of denying the existence of an all-loving God who has provided for her every need. It reveals her doubt regarding God's character in terms of not just his love, but also his mercy, goodness, and sovereignty over her life. And the moment that she acts out and looks at porn, or the moment that you give your life over to the pursuit of wealth or happiness or comfort or whatever, whatever your struggle is, she's declaring, I believe the promises of my sin will satisfy me, and I doubt the promises of God right now. Like, is that not true every time in this passage, every time that we would say, hey, I'm going to pursue this. I'm going to treasure this. I'm going to, I'm going to put my life oh, for this one earthly treasure. I'm going to focus on that. Jesus says, Bible says that's an evil eye, right? That evil eye says what? Says that the, the, the sin that I'm pursuing is far greater than the God who created me. Or I'm going to believe this, the promise of my sin over the promise of God. The struggler's momentary atheism leads to dangerous spiritual consequences. Okay, we're going to get to those spiritual consequences in just a second. It's unlikely an addict will say, I don't believe God's character or promises right now. He won't be that blunt. Okay, but here's the consequences. Here's what it's going to look like. Rather, you'll witness firsthand the consequences of the atheism and porn struggles or whatever struggle, sin struggle you want to put in there. Here they are. Here's these consequences. Here's what you're going to see. A lack of assurance, a hard heart, and self-deceit. Like, like here's, the, here's what it is. When we live a life, like kingdom citizens, we live a life that's for, for earthly treasure, for things of this world, for things that will never satisfy, for things that were never created for us that they would satisfy. Like, what is the result? The result is now we have people who have grown up in church who, who would at one point profess Jesus, and what do they say? They have this lack of assurance of their own salvation, but even the assurance that God is good. Like, like is he even a good God? Is he even a creator? Is he, like, we just, there's doubt all over these people's lives. There's a hard heart, like, like the Spirit of God would be working on them, and they continue to harden their heart, and there's a self-deceit. So in this book, uh, Rescue Plan, in this book, uh, these authors, like they're, they're dealing with Christians. They're dealing with people who grew up in church. This is, like, this is the case of everybody, if you're an unbeliever or, or, an unbeliever or a believer. But, but there's like, in their story, like they're seeing lack of assurance, hard-heartedness, and self-deceit. And who? And somebody who would profess Jesus. So again, how great is that darkness? Like how great is the darkness for somebody to, to at some level, whether truly believe or not truly believe, but at some level experience the, the grace of God in a church community to see God work, to see God answer someone else's prayer and maybe even their own. And yet because they pursued something other than him, than him this darkness overtakes and now there's this lack of assurance, there's a hard-heartedness and there's self-deceit. And I think it's so interesting because this self-deceit, like the only person they're tricking is themselves. Everyone else can see clearly through it. Everyone else is like, hey, that's not worth living for. That's not. It's not. It's never worth living for. And yet, in their mind, we can justify our sin and, and make it sound good. Like, this is the result. Your whole body is full of darkness. One more quote. This is from a guy named Paul. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. Um, but those who want to get it rich. Whoop, let's go one more. Uh, man, did I do it again? 
Oh, I just put it in the wrong spot. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Like, just notice what he says here. You want to get rich. That's your focus. That's your desire. That's what you're going for. Uh, he says what? Like, oftentimes there is temptation and there's men plunging into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evil, all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Again, like, your eye is evil, you're pursuing wealth or pursuing some sort of earthly treasure. What does Paul say about that? He says here that some have wandered away from the faith. Like, like, like they grew up or they, they read their Bible, they grew up in church, they knew some of the Bible, they knew some of the scripture, they would pray. I've heard stories just the past couple months ago of a deacon uh, who would walk away from the faith. Right? And, and it's just this, I is evil pursuing the wrong thing. And so, so what does he say? He says, they've wandered away from the faith. And then this last phrase, pierce themselves with many griefs. Like, Paul saying, like, you did this to you. And so often the people in the church would, would go through this. Like, like, here's heavenly kingdom, here's kingdom citizen following Jesus, and here's the world, and they live like the world, and then they pierce themselves with many griefs. Like, they bring about trouble. They bring about their own pain and suffering. And what do they do? Is they blame God for it. And Paul's saying, no, 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 you did this. Like, like you're the one who stopped following after Jesus to pursue wealth. You're the one who took your eyes off what you should have put your eyes on. And now you're going through the, the pain and suffering that you brought upon yourself. Like, don't blame God for that one. Anyway, let's finish our text. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Okay, like, like I'm competitive, and I'm, I think I'm getting better. Um, Casey might disagree. I think I'm getting better. Uh, Leighton has never beat me in a game of horse yet, so maybe I'm still too competitive. Uh, but if you ever wanted, especially when I was a little bit younger, uh, if you ever wanted me to do something, just make it a competition and tell me that I would lose. And, and my goal would not be to win. My goal would be utterly to destroy you. Like, you will never challenge me to this again because I made you look foolish. Right? Like, that was my mindset. Reading this verse, no one can serve two masters. There's some part of my pride and some part of my competitive nature that says, yeah, watch me. Right? There's some part of my sinful flesh that wants to be like, no, I, I got you. And yet this is the creator God of the universe who knows me better than I know myself, who would, who would die for me in my place, who lived a perfect life, like who's, who's the best, wisest teacher ever to live on planet Earth. And what does he say? He says, you can't do it. Like, this isn't like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and get you. No, no, like no reverse psychology here. Like he's telling you, you cannot do it. You cannot serve two masters. Right? You, can't, you can't put on church on Sunday morning and then live for the world the other six days and think that God's happy with you. You can't show up in your small group and be like, hey, here's what I read in my Bible and leave small group to go participate in some blatant sin and be like, oh, God's happy with me. I went to small group. Like, you, it doesn't work. You can't serve two masters. What does he say? He says you're going to hate one you're going to love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Okay, so, so, so what is he saying? He's saying you're either going to love the heavenly kingdom and, and hate the earthly kingdom or you're going to love the earthly kingdom and hate the heavenly kingdom, but you can't do both. And it's, I feel like it's so easy for us to be like, oh, the eye is evil. Like, that seems so drastic. Like, like we don't have to live that far. And yet Jesus is warning us. He's like, no, stop living for the things that won't matter. Uh, start living for things that do matter and, and realize that you can't do both. So don't have one foot in the world, one foot in church, and one foot in Jesus, and one foot in, like, no, that's impossible. You cannot do that. 
So then he ends it by saying this, you cannot serve God and wealth. The word there, the Greek word for wealth is mammon. And, and I, a, lot of, a lot of translations will have wealth or some sort of money or something like that. Okay, I'm not going to argue these guys are smarter than I am. But when you think about mammon, like Old Testament, bread on the ground that God provided for his people. Right? So, so in my thinking, like, if you woke up every morning and you saw a mammon on the ground, what was the purpose? Well, you'd say to eat it. Okay, duly noted. But there's something greater than that. God just overthrew the greatest nation on the planet, like the greatest kingdom of Egypt. Like, he overthrew that. He parts the Red Sea. You walk through on dry ground. The army is squashed. And the next couple mornings, you're waking up eating bread that falls down from heaven? Like, like, what should be the purpose of this? The purpose of this is not to worship the mammon. The purpose of this is to worship the God who created it. Like, God, you are so awesome that you would free us, that you would call us your people now. Like, what a beautiful picture of God providing for his people. Like, this is great, and it should turn our hearts to praise to the Father. Right? And I feel like here in this context, like, like how crazy. You cannot serve God and mammon. Like, I feel like you would look, if you heard mammon, like, who in the world would serve mammon? It's a bread that you pick up off the ground. Like, the, the germaphobes would have a hard time eating it. Like, like, why would you worship that? Why would you give your life to that? And I feel like he's saying the same thing, though. Like, like, we are so tempted to worship the creation rather than the creator. We're so tempted to be like, here's this good gift of, of some sort of money and wealth, or here's this good gift of pleasure, or here's this good gift of friendship, or here's this good gift of marriage, or here's this, whatever it might be. And all we do is we take this good gift from God that he gives us so that we might glorify him more, so that we might love him more, we might appreciate him more, and we take that thing, we try to turn it into a God thing, and now we're worshiping the thing that he gave us to begin with. It's like, why in the world would you serve mammon? And for us, why in the world would you serve anything else? One last thought, though. Um, as, we, as we think through this, like, your eyes evil, right? Focus on store up, focus on treasure, heavenly treasures. There's that phrase, and I, I don't want us to leave without clarifying. Jesus doesn't, and so part of me thinks, I don't need to, but I'm going to anyway. That phrase, uh, the light that is in you is darkness. How great is the darkness? Like, Jesus is greater. Right? Like, I don't, I don't know what darkness you're in, but Jesus is greater. His mercy, his grace, like, whatever it is, is it's like, he has more than enough for you. Right? So the darkness is great. Duly noted, like, like we don't want it. We don't want the darkness. We don't want an evil eye. We don't want to pursue earthly things because we don't want to ruin our lives and the lives of people around us. Like, Okay, understand, got it. But at the same time, Jesus is greater. We serve a greater Savior. We serve a greater King. We serve a greater everything. Like the darkness is evil and horrible and, and will ruin your life, and yet Jesus can restore. And so for some of us, like, like we're in darkness right now and nobody knows it. Uh, Jesus knows it, and Jesus can help. We can help. But I don't want somebody to sit here and think, man, that darkness is great, and I'm in the middle of it, and there's no hope. Like there's always hope for you, and it's always found in Jesus. Right? So, so for us, though, this morning, like, what are we treasuring? Like, what is, if our, our if-only statements? Like, if only Jesus, if only Jesus, like, that's where we want to land. We want to land on him. We want to land on his word. We want to land on building his kingdom. Like, like, if only I could do more for Jesus. If only I could know Jesus more. If only I could love you. Like, that's where we want to be. So may God tune our hearts towards him and may he tune our hearts further away from this earthly treasures that we're so tempted by. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you for Jesus preaching hard messages. God, it, it, it's so foolish of us as, as people, as followers of you, that we would pursue earthly treasure. God, we, we get so excited over, 
over some purchase that we make. We get so wrapped up in how much money someone makes or how much money I can make or, or this or that. And God, it's so easy. It's so easy for us to put our, our focus on something that will be eaten by bugs. God, turn our eyes. Turn our focus. God, help us to focus you. Focus on you. Help us to love you. Help us to love your word. Help us to love your kingdom. Help us to be good kingdom citizens. Uh, as, we, as we would experience you, as we would uh, have a greater relationship with you, would that just stir in our hearts an even greater relationship, an even deeper relationship? Jesus, we thank you for this, this warning this morning. Not to pursue earthly things, because the pursuit of earthly things isn't just, uh, doesn't just ruin one part of our lives, but it will wreck our entire life. So God, in our small groups, help us to keep each other accountable. In our marriages, I pray that spouses would be able to keep each other accountable. Just in relationships we have in this church, help us to keep each other accountable, that we would be pursuing earthly treasure, or heavenly treasure. We would not pursue the earthly. So God, grow us in this area. Change us. Make us more like you. Help us to become better citizens of your kingdom. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.